All right, Wrestling with Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton standing in the confessional corner as we look once again at baptism from the large catechism, this week looking at paragraphs 23 through 46. So we'll be starting on page 425 of the Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions. In the second place, since we know now what baptism is and how it is to be regarded, we must also learn why and for what purpose it was instituted. We must learn what it profits, gives, and works. For this we also we cannot find a better resource than Christ's words quoted above, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, Mark 16, 16. Therefore, state it most simply in this way, the power, work, profit, fruit, and purpose of baptism is this, to save, 1 Peter 3, 21. For no one is baptized in order that he may become a prince, but, as the words say, that he be saved. We know that to be saved is nothing other than to be delivered from sin, death, and the devil. Colossians 1, 13-14. It means to enter into Christ's kingdom, John 3, 5, and to live with him forever. So first of all, we must understand in the second part of what baptism is, is that it is the salvation of the soul. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Therefore, the profit of baptism is salvation. It works deliverance from sin, death, and the devil. It provides us entrance into Christ's kingdom. It allows us to have that moment where we are initiated into the church of Christ so that we may be able to partake of the benefits of being a member of his church. Luther continues, here you see again how highly and preciously we should value baptism, because in it we receive such an unspeakable treasure. This also proves that it cannot be ordinary mere water, for mere water could not do such a thing. But the word does it, and as I said above, so does the fact that God's name is included in baptism. Where God's name is, there must also be life and salvation. Psalm 54, 1. So baptism may certainly be called a divine, blessed, fruitful, and gracious water. Such power is given to baptism by the word, that is, the washing of new birth, as St. Paul calls it in Titus 3.5. Our would-be wise new spirits assert that faith alone saves, and that works and outward things do nothing. We answer, it is true indeed that nothing in us is of any use but faith, as we shall hear further. But these blind guides are unwilling to see this. Faith must have something that it believes, that is, of which it takes hold. 2 Timothy 1.13, Titus 1.9, and upon which it stands and rests, 1 Corinthians 2.5. So faith clings to the water and believes that in baptism there is pure salvation and life. This is not through the water, as we have stated well enough, but through the fact that it is embodied in God's word and institution, and that God's name abides in it. Now if I believe this, what else is it than believing in God as the one who has given and planted his word? Mark 4.14, into this ordinance and offers to us this outward thing by which we may gain such a treasure. And I want to take a moment here to look at a couple of the verses that are referenced in the Concordia. First of all, 2 Timothy 1.13, where Paul writes, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Where is the faith and love? Well, it's in Christ Jesus, but it is revealed through the pattern of the sound words. In Titus chapter 1, verse 9, 
When talking about elders, he says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Paul's focus both to Timothy and to Titus is about the soundness of the word and that being the basis of our faith. That is what we hold on to. You can talk about having faith, but faith has to have something it holds on to. So in baptism, we receive that as we receive the word of God and God's name in baptism. And as we look at 1 Corinthians 2, I want to go back and read verses 1 through 5, although the Concordia only references verse 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What does our faith hold on to? The power of God. Where do we see that power? In his word that grants us that faith. This is what the new spirits didn't understand is that God works through tangible means. They wanted to throw out everything that was external and just have it be all cerebral, all just mental. But this is where the Roman church had gone to, is that the gospel was not the saving word of salvation and grace and truth. It was simply being able to recite the history of the man named Jesus of Nazareth. And Luther's not done with the new spirits yet. He picks up in paragraph 30. Now, these new spirits are so crazy that they separate faith and the object of which faith clings and is bound, even if it is something outward. Yes, it shall and must be something outward, so that it may be grasped by our senses and understood, and by them be brought into the heart. For indeed, the entire gospel is an outward verbal preaching. Romans 10, 17, 1 Corinthians 1, 21. In short, what God does and works in us, he intends to work through such outward ordinances. Therefore, wherever he speaks, indeed, no matter what direction or by whatever means he speaks, faith must look there. It must hold to that object. Now we have the words, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, Mark 16, 16. What else can these words refer to but baptism, that is, to the water included in God's ordinance? Therefore, it makes sense that whoever rejects baptism rejects God's word, faith, and Christ who directs us to baptism and binds us to baptism. These new spirits are so crazy, Luther says. They want to separate what God gives to us that we may be able to understand from the gift. Wanting us to go away from anything external, including the word of God in some cases, to say all you need is that warm, fuzzy feeling in your heart and in your soul. Jesus calls us to baptism. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Or in Matthew, when he talks about going to all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them what I have commanded you. Baptizing and teaching both external things, both things outside of us, because we need that for our senses and our minds to be able to grasp what God is saying. Now, as we pick up in paragraph 32, 
and go on through the end of our reading for today, we see the third point that Luther wants to make in the large catechism. Who is it that benefits from baptism? Who is it that rightfully receives it? So we pick up in paragraph 32. In the third place, since we have learned baptism's great benefit and power, let us see further who is the person that receives what baptism gives and profits. This is again most beautifully and clearly expressed in the words, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. That is, faith alone makes the person worthy to receive profitably the saving divine water. Since these blessings are presented here and promised through the words in and with the water, they cannot be received in any other way than by believing them with the heart. Romans 10, 9. Without faith, it profits nothing, even though baptism is in itself a divine, overwhelming treasure. Therefore, this single phrase, whoever believes, does so much. It excludes and repels all the works that we can do when we suppose that we gain and merit salvation by our works. For it is determined that whatever is not faith does nothing and receives nothing. Hebrews 11.6 Here again we have, especially in the sacraments, Luther talking about just a simple phrase that does so much. Here is whoever believes. In the Lord's Supper it is given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Especially those two words, for you. This also applies to baptism. This applies to the preaching of the word. This applies to everything that you are made worthy because this is a gift that God has given to you. Luther continues, but if the new spirits say, as they are accustomed, still baptism is itself a work, and you say works are of no use for salvation, what then becomes a faith? Answer, yes, our works indeed do nothing for salvation. Baptism, however, is not our work, but God's. For as was stated, you must clearly distinguish Christ's baptism from a bathkeeper's baptism. God's works are saving and necessary for salvation. They do not exclude but demand faith. For without faith they could not be grasped. By allowing the water to be poured upon you, you have not yet received baptism in a way that benefits you at all. But it becomes beneficial to you if you have yourself baptized with this thought. This is according to God's command and ordinance, and besides, it is done in God's name. In this way, you may receive the promised salvation in the water. Now your fist cannot do this, nor your body, but your heart must believe it. Ezekiel 36, 25-26, and Hebrews 10, 22. If baptism is a work, and works don't save, how can baptism save? Well, you have to make sure that you differentiate between our work, which does not save, and God's work that does save. That is the problem. When you take away what faith holds on to and just have faith in faith, you go around in a vicious cycle and nothing profits you. It does not do you any good. You could have the water poured on you a thousand times, but it doesn't make a difference if there is not faith. All right, paragraph 37. So you see plainly that there is no work done here by us, but a treasure which God gives us in faith grasp. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It is like the benefit of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross, which is not a work, but a treasure included in the word. It is offered to us and received by faith. Therefore, the new spirits violate us by shouting against us as though we preach against faith. For we alone insist upon it as being necessary that without it, nothing can be received or enjoyed. 
All right, here it is again. No work done here by us. Simply a treasure given to us. Very much like the salvation that comes through Jesus' death on the cross is not something we do. It is not a work. It is a treasure that we receive. And we only receive it through the word that tells us that this is for us. All right, so now Luther, picking up in paragraph 38 on through 46, kind of closes up the section. So I'm going to read the whole thing and make notes at the end as necessary. So we have these three parts, which must be known about the sacrament, especially that God's ordinance is to be held in all honor. The sacrament alone would be enough, even though it is an entirely outward thing. It is like the commandment, honor your father and your mother, which refers to bodily flesh and blood. In these words, we do not think about the flesh and blood, but God's commandment in which flesh and blood are included, and on account of which the flesh is called father and mother. So even if we only had the words go and baptize or such, it would be necessary for us to accept them and do them as God's ordinance. Now, there is not only God's commandment and injunction here, but also the promise. Because of this, baptism is still far more glorious than whatever else God has commanded and ordained. It is, in short, so full of consolation and grace that heaven and earth cannot understand it. But it requires skill to believe this. For the treasure is not lacking, but this is lacking, people who grasp it and hold it firmly. Therefore, every Christian has enough in baptism to learn and to do all his life. For he has always enough to do by believing firmly what baptism promises and brings. Victory over death and the devil, Romans 6, 3-6. Forgiveness of sins, Acts 2, 38. God's grace, Titus 3, 5-6. The entire Christ and the Holy Spirit with his gifts, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. In short, baptism is so far beyond us that if timid nature could realize this, it might well doubt whether it could be true. Think about it. Imagine there was a doctor somewhere who understood the art of saving people from death, or even though they died, could restore them quickly to life so that they would afterward live forever. Oh, how the world would pour in money like snow and rain. No one could find access to him because of the throng of the rich. But here in baptism, there is freely brought to everyone's door such a treasure in medicine that it utterly destroys death and preserves all people alive. We must think this way about baptism and make it profitable for ourselves. So when our sins and conscience oppress us, we strengthen ourselves and take comfort and say, Nevertheless, I am baptized. And if I am baptized, it is promised to me that I shall be saved and have eternal life, both in soul and body. For that is the reason why these two things are done in baptism. The body, which can grasp nothing but the water, is sprinkled. In addition, the word is spoken for the soul to grasp. Now, since both the water and the word make one baptism, therefore body and soul must be saved and live forever. 1 Corinthians 15, 53. The soul lives through the word, which it believes, but the body lives because it is united with the soul and also holds on through baptism as it is able to grasp it. We have, therefore, no greater jewel in body and soul. For by baptism, we are made holy and saved. 1 Corinthians 6, 11 again. No other kind of life, no work upon earth can do this. Let this be enough about baptism's nature, blessing, and use, for it fulfills the present purpose. Luther gives the anecdote of the doctor who is able to save people from death or being able to resurrect people from the dead so that they will never die again. How everybody would flock to that to receive that. And nobody would be able to get to it because the rich would have all of his attention. He, They would be buying off 
his gifts. But here, Jesus gives us the gift for free. No payment due, just simply pure grace given to us by our loving God and Heavenly Father. That is what we need to know about baptism. Next week, we'll get into Luther's talk about infant baptism and its benefits. But until then, this is Pastor Doug Minton thanking you for standing in the confessional corner with me, learning more about what baptism means to us as a gift of God so that we may truly treasure it and live in that baptism all the days of our life, so that it may strengthen us to wrestle with the theologies around us. Amen.